Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello, dear listener, and welcome back to Owning It, the Anxiety Podcast with me, author Caroline Foran. For this episode, I am incredibly excited to be joined by a guest that I have so long wanted to feature on this series. Her name is Dr. Kelly McGonigal. You may or may not be familiar with her, you will be after this episode for sure. Her TED talk has inspired so much of what I do and her work has informed so much of my own mentality and approach towards managing anxiety. Now in this particular episode we talk a lot about exercise for anxiety and let me tell you having recently published a book about the neuroscience of exercise which she calls the joy of movement her insights are just mind-blowing. I'm pretty sure I say wow after every answer she gives me to every question. Then we talk a lot about compassion as well, and I don't doubt that if you're enjoying the series so far, you will love this episode as much as I did. Thank you so much to those of you supporting the podcast, either on patreon.com forward slash Caroline Foran, or via the new Acast support feature on Acast, and thanks for tuning in. So I'll leave it over to Kelly now. She is incredible. For, For those who might be unfamiliar with your work, can you just tell me a little bit to begin with about what you do in your background? I'm a health psychologist. Um, I'm really interested in the mind-body relationship, how our emotions influence our health, um, how our health influences our ability to engage with life meaningfully. You are the author of, I've tried to count up all the books, but let me just make sure I'm getting this right. There's The Willpower Instinct, The Science of Compassion, The Upside of Stress, Yoga for Pain Relief, and then your latest book is A Joy of Movement? Yes. Is there any more that I'm missing? Uh, the neuroscience of change. And then there's, um, books that are available only in Asian languages. (laughs) Don't worry about those. (laughs) So I might have some listeners in Asia. So you're very popular in Asia. Why do you think that, why do you think that is? You know, what I have heard is that, um, people appreciate the combination of, uh, what appear to be shared cultural values and being based in science. Um, So, you know, my work is always drawing from the latest neuroscience and psychology and medical research. Um, And yet at the same time, I'm very committed to 
core values of common humanity and interdependence. And um, there's a, a sense that I think uh, in, in many of the places that I've traveled to in Asia or, or places that I've um, spoken to my readers, there's a sense that the science is supporting people's ability to, to live lives that they value. Yeah. And that there's that, that particular kind of synthesis. Well, that is, I mean, you've got it in a, in a nutshell for me in what I've learned from, from following your work and from exploring my own ways of coping with anxiety, which would be my focus, especially with this podcast, is to take the the latest research, the neuroscience, which you, you're the kind of person doing that research and distill it in a way that makes sense to me. Um, and for me, like understanding the physiology of things has always helped me make sense of my experience of things whether it's stress or anxiety to take it away from just you know something that you're thinking about to actually what's going on in your body and um, and one of the most eye-opening learnings for me from from your work is and I've I don't know how many times I must have quoted you as saying this but about the whole idea that it's not so much the presence of stress in our bodies or the presence of anxiety that's the problem that we need to get rid of but it's more so our perception of that stress or anxiety and and how we look on it and this just changed my whole perspective on anxiety and helped me stop trying to you know live free of it which is just too much of a challenge and it's actually going to create more anxiety and, and, and actually help me look at it as something that's maybe you know trying to help me or warn me so so thank you so much for for that particular TED talk and that realization it was such a game changer I'm so glad it helped you and you were probably able to accept it sooner than I was I was one of those people who was like this research can't be right my anxiety is awful I need to get rid of it like they couldn't possibly be talking about real anxiety so it, it always warms my heart when I hear that maybe um, some other folks had less a uh, fewer years of resistance to this idea that really radically transformed my own relationship to, yeah. to anxiety um, and other sort of inner experiences that I don't want to have to deal with. So anxiety is something that obviously you've been researching with your work, but it's something that you've experienced firsthand as well. Yes. Um, I always like to say that it's my default temperament that, that yeah. you know, we have these biological set points for personality and mood. And my biological set point is somewhere between you know, like basic dread and, and utter overwhelm. Okay. I'm right there with you. <laughs> And like, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, one no. of the great things from the research suggests also that human beings need people like us who are alert and vigilant and and sensitive um, and responsive. You know, hyper responsive as well. And we're really good at a lot of things, including in leadership and planning and caring and empathy. Um, but uh, when I was a kid, I didn't necessarily have that experience, and so you know, I was that kid who was just anxious about everything, always having stomach aches from my anxiety and headaches from my anxiety. And um, one of the reasons that I became a psychologist was selfishly to better understand um, how to deal with my own. And I think that's the same for almost every professional psychologist or neuroscientist or anyone who I've spoken to. All, every single person seems to have had an experience that they wanted to better understand themselves. And, you know, what better way to do that than to make it your career and be able to then like, help other people as well. Um, yes, so because we know our own suffering is often a, a beautiful catalyst for empathy and compassion for others, which yeah. is also a nice framework to put around 
things like like sensitivity to anxiety or other mental health challenges. And that's what I think I really, really resonate with all of your work is that you, you are a professional, you have done this research, you know, you, you know, all the, the lingo and the jargon, but you wrap it in a very human approach. And I think that's so important because when someone is feeling anxious or stressed out, they're overwhelmed enough as is. And there's a lot of signs out there. So to be able to have that distilled in such a way that helps people feel like not that it's more stress, you know, I think is really, really helpful. So thank you for that. You're welcome. Yeah, the science to me is, is almost um, is very reassuring. I like to know that my brain isn't broken. Yes. That we're kind of all in this human struggle together. And I even like, I, I like the idea that I can understand what's happening, you know, biochemically in my system, because it, it seems like that makes it concrete enough that it's something that we can also work with, that we can change and support when we understand this isn't some like super abstract thing, but it's, it's because we're human and we yeah. exist as bodies and um, we can work with our, our neurochemistry and we can work with our mindset. Oh, I could not agree more. And I just, if everyone could just understand that and like take that approach instead of being so hard on themselves, I don't think we'd have half of the anxiety epidemic that we do have. Um, but today we're going to touch on something that I have actually yet to explore in the series. Um, and the series is all about helping people cope with anxiety in different ways. And I share my experience and then I talk to different professionals who have can weigh in with their expertise, as well as other people who who just have experienced anxiety in different ways who can people might be able to relate to. Um, but one of the really important um, elements or I guess aspects of managing or owning your anxiety is exercise and in your latest book, you called it movement. Was there a decision to not call it exercise? I actually love both words, but what I discovered early on is a lot of people are allergic to the word exercise because yeah. they, when they hear the word exercise, what they think is, you want to force me to do something that I hate, that mm -hmm. feels awful, and that will make me feel dissatisfied about my body or judged by my appearance. And so that's, if you, that's what you think exercise is, please, let's use the word movement or activity. Um, movement is just engaging with life through the vehicle of your body. Everything we do uh, basically in life is some kind of movement. The fact that we're talking now is a movement. Uh, facial expressions are a movement. Cooking for yourself is a movement. Um, and exercise basically is defined as movement for the sake of movement itself rather than as a sort of a means to get to some unrelated end. So you could think about movement. You might walk to the store because mm -hmm. you need to buy groceries. You might go for a walk because you enjoy how it feels to go for a walk and you enjoy being out in nature. That's exercise. Yeah. Um, you, you might um, dance because you're a professional dancer and someone's paying you to learn a routine and you perform it on stage. That's movement. Um, you might dance because you love how it feels to celebrate life by moving to music and connecting with others, whether it's you know at a dance class or at a wedding. That's that's like that's exercise. Um, exercise is just movement for its own sake, for its intrinsic joys, and because you value what what moving your body does for you. With that definition of exercise, hopefully people can embrace both words. Yeah, I mean, you make it sound amazing and less like a punishment, which I think is probably a mindset that a lot of people have adopted. And we'll get to that a little bit later. But you would credit movement or exercise or whatever you want to call it as a very powerful antidote to the very modern epidemics of stress and anxiety. Is that right? Yes, and that's true whether you look at the research. There is overwhelming research. Every type of data you might want from carefully controlled clinical trials to longitudinal studies that have been conducted in almost every country on the planet with every age group you can imagine, every demographic you can imagine, um, that people who move more are 
less depressed, less anxious, more satisfied with life. They experience more positive emotions like hope and love and gratitude. And this is true if they aren't active and they become active, like in an experiment Mm -hmm. or in a clinical trial for depression. Um, But it's also true if you just listen to the stories of people, which I was so lucky to do for this book. And I'm so lucky to do in my work. I teach... um, I typically teach about six movement classes a week, so I get to see it in action. Um, So many people have found through movement, whether it's the movement itself and how it affects their brain chemistry and how it changes how they feel about themselves, or whether it's the movement communities that they find when they're training for a race or moving uh, at a community center, that that is just a powerful antidote for both anxiety and depression and loneliness. Mm-hmm. You mentioned there um, about the impact it has on our neurochemistry. How, I'm really interested. I mean, we've all heard a million times that exercise is so important for our mental health and for our well-being. And I think people kind of take it as, yeah, yeah, I know, but like really give me the harder stuff, you know. Um, so what is actually happening? What's actually happening in our bodies and our brains when we exercise because for me when my anxiety was so crippling that I wasn't functioning being told to go for a walk I just wanted to punch someone in the face because I I just felt like it wasn't going to solve all my problems but I didn't understand what was how exercise could even minorly positively impact something that I can't see behind the scenes yeah. And I, by the way, anyone listening who also feels like punching someone in the face when they say to exercise, one thing I want to add is that I'm completely um, sympathetic to that feeling, having been there in, in various states in my life. Um, you know, there are lots of times when movement can feel like the most difficult thing in the world, including mm-hmm. periods of grief or periods of trauma. Um, and so, you know, I'm here to say that movement is a magnificent resource without any sort of guilt or shame about whether it's easy and whether it feels possible in this moment, just to help people understand what a resource it can be. Okay. Um, so let's start, you asked about like the brain chemistry yeah, and so- biological effects. I- I've got three for you mm-hmm. that hopefully will blow people's minds because everyone has heard about something like an endorphin rush and, and that'll make you feel good. Um, but I want to share ways that, that um, movement or exercise can change your brain in ways that can protect against anxiety or help people deal with anxiety. And the first is this immediate benefit you get, sometimes called the feel better effect, um, that comes from the changes in your brain chemistry when you are active. And particularly if you can sustain it for about 20 minutes or so. Um, And you see increases in brain chemicals like endorphins, but also endocannabinoids, which powerfully relieve anxiety and stress and enhance pleasure and positive emotions. Um, And, and also brain chemicals like dopamine, which increase positive motivation. And so often people are used to thinking of dopamine as like the feel-good um, brain chemical. But for those of us who deal with anxiety, you know, one of the things we know is the experience of feeling paralyzed, like yeah. trapped and wanting to avoid everything that makes you anxious. And one way to think about dopamine is it actually, it dampens down the avoidance system of your brain which makes you feel like withdrawing and retreating or hiding or shutting down. Okay. And dopamine activates the approach motivation of the brain, which is what makes you think there's something I can do. There's something I want to do. It pushes you back into life. And um, if you don't have anxiety, that's maybe not sort of how you experience the dopamine rush of exercise. But I like to think of it as being emboldening and that it actually gives you a, a shot of courage. So those are some of the brain chemicals that are released um, every time you exercise, immediately when you exercise, 
And the fascinating research is that the more regularly active you are, the better your brain gets at both delivering this high from your exercise. So, you know, you might start out and the first time you break a sweat, like you sort of feel a little bit better, but you're not sure you're getting that thing that people talk about. Like <laughs> yes. it's not euphoria. Um, over the course of weeks and months, the brain gets better at delivering this feel better effect. And so it's something that you kind of need to invest in. Okay. Um, we also know that exercise changes the brain in ways that give you access to these brain chemicals all of the time more easily. So you actually build a brain that is better able to find courage and positive motivation. You've got a brain that's better able to feel pleasure and to calm stress and anxiety. Um, that's a lot. <laughs> that's just, that's, I, my mind is blown. I like, I have so many questions I want to ask you, but so, so it's, it's impacting you, not just when you're exercising, but, um, like all of the time and it's cumulative once you start exercising regularly. Yes. I, I talk about it as you're building a brain that is more sensitive to joy and more resilient to stress. And it's not just sort of your basic brain chemicals. And we also know that things that your muscles release when you exercise of any form, any type, weightlifting, running, yoga, whatever you're doing, um, your muscles will release chemicals into your bloodstream when you exercise that have a profound effect on your brain that work as both anti-anxiety and antidepressants, sort of depending on what you're struggling with. And one of them is lactic acid. And so many people who have ever like stepped foot in a gym or done an exercise video have heard uh, about lactic acid as something that's blamed for making your muscle sore or making you feel tired when you exercise. Um, it's actually not, it, it doesn't cause muscle soreness the way that it's blamed for, but you can think of, uh, you can think of this as basically the metabolic byproduct of using your muscles, of exercising. And when it builds up in your bloodstream, it actually reaches your brain. And we now know that lactate is actually a powerful anti-anxiety and antidepressant for the brain, both in the short term and in the long term. So I can think about that every time you exercise, the, the literal metabolic byproduct of exercise, and you'll know it's happening when you start to feel tired, that that fatigue is a sign that your muscles are basically manufacturing anti-anxiety and antidepressant molecules that are um, you know, taking care of your brain. I think like wow. that, that's the kind of science for me that makes me sit up and be like, Go to wow. the gym. <laughs> My body is a better friend than I thought it was. That's so true. I mean, we really do think, we always think that like anxiety is out to get us and our bodies just aren't, they don't have our back and they're not on our side. Um, but for me, like thinking of it as, well, my body's trying to warn me or protect me or prepare me for something has been such a game changer. And especially now learning this about the exercise, because I have definitely struggled on and off with feeling like getting getting pushing through that initial hurdle of like oh I feel like sore I don't feel like getting up and exercising I don't feel this good feeling that everyone talks about and then maybe getting somewhere and then being injured and stopping and kind of losing my my kind of progress like that so is there in your experience you know is there sort of a threshold where you you see it go from being something that can be challenging for people even though it's still positively impacting the brain to being something that people get a you know an actual high they can feel yeah. Um, well, so a couple things to say about that. One is some advice for people who are on their path to getting there. So it does seem to take about six weeks to see a really big change, like a big change in the pleasure that people get from exercising, a change in the dopamine receptor availability in your reward system that, that helps you feel that reward and, and more joy in everyday life. So if you know it's going to take you know, maybe six weeks or so to really have 
change your brain in ways that makes movement more enjoyable and that starts to have these powerful psychological effects in the long term, um, one thing that you can do is look for a form of movement that immediately gives you access to something you already enjoy. Uh, for me, it's actually music. So music is incredibly powerful for me. Um, you know, I'm the kind of person where I need to set an, an alarm uh, song that makes me want to get out of bed because my first thought in the morning is always like, oh, bleep, do I have to do this? And, but you get the right song in there and that changes to be like, yes, all right, I'm doing this. Um, so you know, for me, music is super important. And we know that a lot of people will get uh, an endorphin rush and a dopamine release simply from listening to music that they love. For other people, it's being out in nature. For some people, it's about spending time with people they care about or spending time with a, a pet that they love. Um, for other people, it's competition. You know, like Peloton is so popular now that maybe for you, you know you get a dopamine rush from competing with other people. And so you're going to look for a form of exercise that immediately gives you that payoff okay. as your brain works on coming to love the, the sense of fatigue in your leg muscles and the sense of your, your heart pounding as you, as you exert yourself. Um, there are many things that, that can be combined with movement to give you a sense of pleasure and joy. And if you think about choosing an exercise form, not from the point of view of what's going to burn the most calories or, you know, what, what would my doctor prescribe? And you simply think, okay, movement exercise is about engaging with life through my body. I'm going to use my body and my heart rate's going to get up a little bit. What else do I love that I can use my body to, to give me, you know, an opportunity to enjoy? Okay. So the enjoyment part's really important. Yeah. But the other thing I should say is it's not that that, um, that resistance to movement ever fully goes away for most people, uh, including people who have become addicted in a positive way to movement. There's a funny thing that I call the joy gap, which is that when you are in the state that really needs exercise, either just because you haven't moved in a while and so you're sort of sluggish and sedentary and tired or because you're suffering from a more serious challenge like an anxiety disorder or grief, um, your brain is going to lie to you about how much is going to help to move your body. Like when you are in a low energy state, the brain tries to protect you from exerting too much energy and doesn't really, doesn't predict well how okay. energizing movement will be. So I've talked to people who are professional athletes and I experience this myself. You know, I exercise first thing in the morning because I know what a powerful uh, reset it is, that it yeah. sets me up to face the day with more courage and being more open to others and being more optimistic. But, you know, I'll be darned if every single morning, I, my first thought is that I don't want to do it because my natural set point when I wake up is not the version of me who I will be once I've done the workout. Okay. And so I do want to encourage, sometimes people think that like something has to change inside themselves before they become an exerciser. And it actually is just fine if every single time before you do it, there's a part of you that doesn't want to, and you tap into sort of the wiser self and the kinder self who says, yeah, I know you're tired now, or I know you think you don't have the time for this, but I'm the part of you who remembers how important this is, and I'm going to make it a priority, and I'm going to get you through this. And this is very much the same way that many of us deal with our anxiety. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And okay, you've mentioned there the importance of um, aligning your movement with something that you would enjoy doing. But when it comes to anxiety symptoms that people might have, such as um, aches and pains or, or tightness in their jaw or um, sick stomach, or for me, like I, when I was feeling really bad, I, was, I had a very like strong heart rate. Are there better anxiety or better exercises than other specifically for 
calming down anxiety symptoms. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Yeah, so here's where there's an interesting paradox. Um, if you look at the research on what type of movement seems to be most effective for helping people who really struggle with anxiety, I, you know, I'm not talking about just, oh, I occasionally get a little bit nervous yeah. before something important. Um, it's the higher intensity, which is exactly what people with anxiety often think is the opposite of what they need. And yeah. let, me, let me try to sell this idea <laughs> to you <laughs> and anyone who's listening, um, because this has been my experience too. Actually, I, I used to think that very gentle kind of calming yoga would be the best thing for my anxiety. Um, and so I, I did spend a lot of time like doing forward folds and child's pose. And there is definitely a role for restorative movement and recovery. But for most people, the, sort of the best medicine for anxiety isn't calming down. It's, it's more courage. And um, so we know there are a couple of ways that higher intensity exercise can actually help people have a completely different relationship with their anxiety. Um, that doesn't require being able to get rid of it or suppress it with medications that sort of numb you out. Mm -hmm. So one is that it actually trains you to have more comfort with the physiological symptoms of anxiety, even a panic attack. So, you know, let's say that you are cycling or running or dancing or, or doing any sort of um, movement where your heart rate gets up pretty high. And maybe you even go to the point of having to slow down and catch your breath because you went to that, that point of vigorous intensity where you, you actually struggle to breathe. And that's yeah. a good thing in exercise. We know that if you're exercising in a context where, where you're able to feel proud of yourself for pushing yourself that hard, where maybe you have a coach or instructor who's talking to you about how great you're doing, maybe where there's music with lyrics that talk about how you know, you're a survivor, you're a fighter, or whatever you know, feels great to you, that it changes how you start to interpret and your, your comfort zone with physical symptoms of anxiety when they show up 
in other parts of life. So let's say you're, you're getting ready to have a conversation with someone, you're starting to feel those symptoms of maybe early panic attack or just high levels of anxiety, and your heart is pounding and you're sweating. You're much less likely to feel like, I need to immediately take some medication to get rid of these symptoms or else I can't have this conversation. You're okay. less likely to think that those symptoms mean that you don't deserve to do what you're about to do or that you can't handle it and look for an escape route. Um, so exercise can teach people to basically have what, what you know from my stress work as a challenge response that transforms those symptoms of anxiety and actually just energy that you can harness. Um, and so that's one way to think about high intensity exercises being really useful for anxiety. Wow, because honestly, I would have had a, the complete opposite approach this whole time with myself. I think when my, it was 2014 when my anxiety got really acute to the point that I wasn't functioning, I wasn't able to leave the house. I was, I was really ill with it and I did eventually have to go on medication. And I remember running a lot of the time and trying to almost run the anxiety out of me. And I kind of started to associate the symptom anytime I felt my heart racing I felt like oh I'm anxious and that panicked me and it worried me and I wanted to do anything I could to not feel that way so I think I started to develop a bit of a bad relationship with high intensity and I actually think to this day I'm still a little bit frightened of it because if, if I'm even if I'm excited about something my, my body will misinterpret that as oh you're anxious about something and I, I need to separate that and all like you say like take it as a challenge to get almost expose myself to those symptoms because I would have thought that running was the work I eventually kind of did more yoga and resistance training and when I didn't feel that intense heart rate rising and that I, I just noticed myself being a little bit less anxious uh, during the day when I was doing those exercises I just thought okay well that's it you can't do running it's not for you and well, so okay this is let me let me jump in so one thing I want to say is um First of all, you are demonstrating a very important principle that I want everyone to embrace, which is no matter what the science says, science is not law and rules. It's not like rules of physics. It says that, you know, in general, this is something we observe. And every human being is a unique individual. So your ability to try things out and listen to your direct experience and trust yourself. It's actually a big part of what helps us deal with anxiety anyway. So actually, I want to think like, like that's super important that anything you hear from any expert, including myself, it needs to get run through the lens of your direct experience mm -hmm. and, uh, and to trust yourself to pay attention to what works for you and what doesn't. The, the other thing I wanted to jump in and say is that you mentioned doing um, strength training and yoga. And we actually know that activation of your deep core muscles is one of the best ways to immediately send a signal to your brain that you are in control, that you are confident, and that your brain does not need to, um, to be in such a fear state. It actually, there's neurofeedback from the, the muscles of your core that literally regulate the fear centers of your brain. And so if you can do a movement form that requires you to brace your core for long periods of time or use your core to stabilize yourself, could be bar, Pilates, yoga, so many forms of martial arts, um, so many forms of strength training, that actually what you're basically doing is you're sending neurofeedback from your, your muscles and from your, your body that say to your brain, you've got this. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not at all surprised that you would have that experience later through the day. And it's actually, it's another way that, see, I still think of that as, as being like a, a higher intensity exercise because yeah. it's often hard. You know, if you're, if you're doing strength training, you might not get into that realm of breathlessness, but it's not the same as like lying down and taking a nap, which is sometimes <laughs> I think people's <laughs> instincts when they're feeling really anxious. 
Um, and you also, that same feedback that you get from your muscles, it doesn't just in that moment, like sort of magically shut down fear circuitry in your brain. You also are getting, you're building a sense of self that comes from, from feeling your own strength and your own stability, which is another wonderful way that exercise can help people deal with anxiety because you start to create a narrative about yourself that says, I'm powerful. I can do hard things. Mm. I can tolerate uncomfortable feelings in the pursuit of something that is meaningful or something that is good for me, which is really important to know. I actually overcame my fear of flying by um, putting myself in a situation where I had to learn that I was capable of doing that. Um, I, I used to have a debilitating fear of flying or like have a panic attack, literally just thinking about having to book a flight, you know, months in the future. Mm-hmm. And um, when I decided I wanted to work on that fear, I asked myself, what is the situation that to me most resembles how I feel when I'm on a plane or when I think about flying that doesn't involve actually getting on a plane. Like I was not ready for that. And I remembered going to an indoor cycling class uh, years ago, (laughs) hating it, feeling like I was trapped, like I wasn't allowed to get off the bike and leave, uh, that I couldn't breathe, that it was really, really hard and I hated every minute of it. And I was just waiting for it to be over. And I thought, oh, that's definitely how I feel on a plane. And so I started going to cycling classes Um, thinking to myself, this is how I'm going to demonstrate to myself that I can tolerate this distress for something that matters to me. And I learned through that over a few months of of going to indoor cycling classes, I learned how to breathe through the voices in my head that were screaming, you can't do this. This is too much. You need to get out. And the crazy thing is I fell in love with cycling, even though I hated it. And I became a cycling instructor um, which is what? part of like, the proof of the concept that if you do anything for six weeks, your brain will often fall in love with it um, because of how, how like the brain is built to, to become positively yeah. to exercise. Wow. So I think something that I'm getting from everything you're saying is that you're very proactive when it comes to anxiety and stress and ra- rather than always choose the route that's like soothing and restorative and, and keeping yourself really relaxed if we kind of expose ourselves to those environments or those feelings of stress in a controlled way and learn that we can cope with it or that we're more resilient that we can get to a point where it's not so distressing then that's actually like a major um hurdle in getting to a point of owning your anxiety Yes. And, and there's a room for all of it. I always worry that people will think, yeah. you know, when they hear me say that, that what I'm saying is there's something wrong with you if you practice, you know, rest as a form of self-care or if you, if you need to rely on medication, you know, great. If it's working for you, it's wonderful. I'm always thinking in terms of um, strategies that I know support people. And it is the case that to have in your toolbox the sense that you don't have to get rid of your anxiety. It really does seem to be the most important mindset for people to move forward in life. Um, And part of this comes from my work with people with chronic pain, and I'm someone who's lived with chronic pain alongside anxiety. And um, the idea that you have to get rid of all pain in order to lead a meaningful life is one of the biggest barriers to experiencing joy and purpose and meaning if you have a chronic pain condition. And so actually I learned it first through pain that, that you can make room for it. You, even if you can never get rid of it, even if there is no cure, there's no medicine that fixes it, um, you can still experience joy and meaning and connection and make room for the pain and take care of yourself in ways that give you the life that, that you want. 
And it took me a while to figure out that that was true for anxiety too, because I have to tell you, I hated my anxiety more than I hated the pain. For mm -hmm. me, like if I could get rid of one, oh, believe me, the thing I'd get rid of is the anxiety. I'd happily live with pain for the rest of my life if I didn't have to experience fear. But what I found is that, that actually applying that same mindset to anxiety is, is what allows me to, to make choices in life that create the things that I care about so that you know my life isn't defined by the anxiety. Yeah, amazing. I also want to ask you about compassion, which I know was another area of focus. Um, and I think that one of the reasons, particularly in Ireland, I'm sure it's the same everywhere, but we're very hard on ourselves and there's a real um, rhetoric of, oh, just get on with it or you're grand, you know, have a cup of tea, just, you know, deal with it and because of that because of like generations that have gone before us there's this uh, such a low tolerance for poor mental health or struggles like that and for me when I started to read more about compassion and how it actually impacts the body and the mind and the brain and it, it became so much less of just a nice idea of just oh be kind to yourself and actually to learn how it down regulates the stress response for me was like so powerful and when we think I don't know if I'm right on this but when we, we think when we're being self-critical that we're kind of being self-motivating or something and actually we're maybe doing doing even more harm what are your thoughts on, on compassion when it comes to anxiety and how important that is yeah both compassion and self-compassion so um it let me just say that it is true a lot of people think that self-criticism is motivating because when you're being criticized by others or when you're being hard on yourself, what you will feel in that moment is a kind of pain that makes you desperately wish you could be different. And people mistake that pain and that distress with the motivation and energy required to actually make positive changes in your life or to continue down a path that is difficult. Um, and that's something that we have to get clear about because if you believe that feeling bad is the same thing as being motivated, you will continue to do things to yourself that put you in that state of desperately wanting to change or take action and yet critically not having the energy for it. Um, and it's like, it can be like a black hole that sucks you down. So you feel the want, but you just can't find the way. Um, so self-criticism tends not to be motivating, not nearly as much as kindness and encouragement and mentoring. And when it comes to compassion for anxiety, um, one thing that has been very important to me is actually looking at the benefits of compassion for others in terms of um, helping people find more courage. Some really fascinating studies that show that, um, particularly for people who deal with social anxiety, that when you set a commitment to helping others, it is more effective at reducing your anxiety than all of the traditional cognitive behavioral techniques of like exposure or trying to force yourself to think differently. That there's something about being in the mindset of looking out into the world and just asking, how can I serve? How can I help? Or looking out in the world and asking yourself, who here is struggling? Who here is having a bad day? Um, that gives us a different sense of self that is less self-focused in a way that allows us to connect with others. That it's like an upward spiral. It's the opposite of that black hole of self-criticism mm -hmm. where you interact with people in a way that's less self-conscious. You interact with people in a way that is actually looking to contribute or help, and people see you differently. They respond to that version of yourself that you're sharing with the world, and you get all this positive social feedback, 
that then strengthens your sense of self-trust and connection to others. You, people are more likely to be vulnerable with you, which gives you a, a greater sense of common humanity and less like your own struggles reveal something you know awful about you and unique about you. And so um, I actually think that that cultivating a compassionate mindset for others is as important for dealing with anxiety as learning how to be kind and caring to yourself. They're both very important. And the other thing that I wanted to mention is that um, when you are in a, a genuine state of compassion, of seeing the suffering in the world or the suffering in others, and uh, you feel motivated to do something to help, that actually is like it is the definition of activating courage in your brain. Um, I'm very interested in the neuroscience of compassion. And we know that when you're connected to that compassionate motivation, it transforms a fight or flight response or a panic or you know, paralysis response into activating the reward system of the brain, the hope circuit of the brain, the caregiving systems of the brain in ways that make you feel less afraid, less alone, and emboldened to take action. So um, yeah. you know, it's one of the reasons why therapists will tell people who are anxious or nervous about something, like just for, like send a supportive text to someone you care about. That we know that as soon as you are just shift into that mindset of wanting to help others, it's like giving yourself a shot of hope and courage. Wow. Oh my God. I never thought of it that way because we're so focused on what we can do for ourselves and, you know, and that's obviously important, but it goes both, it can go outwards from yourself as well, which is just amazing. Before I let you go, Kelly, can I ask you of all your research um, and bearing in mind your own experience of anxiety, what for you has been the biggest eye opener? Hmm, the Putting biggest, you on the spot here. <laughs> I know. I mean, so the, honestly, the, I, the idea that it might be the case that this never fully goes away. Um, I still remember having a conversation with one of my meditation teachers in which, I don't know what we were talking about, but I remember saying to her, wait, like, what? Wait, you mean that I might have this for the rest of my life, that the meditation's not going to get rid of all this stuff in my head? And she was like, whoever told you it was all, it, it all going to go away? And I, I don't know. That was just my assumption that maybe like the normal human experience is to have a mind that is free of suffering. And somehow I just got trapped in how the human mind is not supposed to be. And I feel like that is one of the insights that maybe is not, doesn't give as much um, inspiration to others as it did to me when I finally settled into it. But no, the idea it's, that it's like, it's, it's utterly human to have a brain that produces suffering sometimes. And we, we need resources and tools to learn how to deal with a human mind. Um, so that, that was definitely eye-opening. Absolutely. And for me, that has been the ultimate game changer. And whenever anyone asks me about anything to do with managing anxiety, I say, whatever about all the different things you could try or apps you could download, if you, if you consi like consistently try to think of it as something you're trying to get rid of, like I used to think of it as like a virus that was, had taken over me that I needed to get cure myself of, you're going to stay in that cycle of being very, very hard on yourself, feeling a lot of anxiety and getting nowhere. Um, and I really have to credit you with teaching me that um so so thank you so much Kelly I there's so many questions I would love to ask you your brain is just the most unbelievable tonic for me to listen to um and I'm going to encourage everyone to go out and read all of your books every every single one of them is important but is um the joy of movement is out now yes and it's available around the world and online and it is available around the world. And for the first time, it looks like every publisher is using the same title, which is not the case with my other books. Often the UK, they, yeah. they, the publisher changes the title and 
and changes the cover and, and it is very strange, but we got the joy of movement for you. Oh, amazing. I've had the same experience with my books in America have been called completely different things. And people think I've written all these other books. I'm like, no, they're the same. But they just they want they seem to want like my my book that's here is called The Confidence Kit is called You Got This in America. <laughs> oh, I love that. That is I guess. Okay, so wait, let me ask you, I'm dying to know. So they mm-hmm. changed the title of my book, The Willpower Instinct in the UK to Maximum Willpower, which I thought was so horrific. And yeah. it's actually the cover is like a bottle. It looks like a pill bottle. And it says, 100% willpower on it. And uh, I thought like, do I, am I not understanding the cultural, like that to me was nuts. Yeah, no, it's, it's that I would always prefer the softer approach and a, a, sl- a slightly more cynical approach. And um, then like, here's all the answer in, in one little bottle, you know? Um, Maybe they thought that was very American. Maybe they were trying to up my Americanness. Yeah, I've had to accept that. Uh, some, pe- some of my friends are like, did you come up with the title? You got this. I'm like, no. <laughs> I do love that. Now you should thank your publisher. That's Yeah, great. well, hopefully it will, it will do well because it came out in the middle of the coronavirus. And I think maybe one copy so far has been purchased but for that person I'm very grateful um Kelly thank you so much I look forward to everything else that you do in the future and I'll be keeping a close eye and I'm sure people listening will have learned so much from everything that you've said and will have a new approach to exercise or movement that is a little bit more compassionate a little bit more hopeful and realizing how much they will gain from it so I cannot thank you enough great thank you Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. The easiest way to access Owning It Real Time is to head to the link in the episode description or episode details, whatever you call them, show notes. You will find the link in there at the top. You can sign up right away for Owning It Real Time and access the full library of 10 situation-specific audio guides that will help you own your anxiety even more than you've ever done before.